0: Good morning brethren We have a fresh handout and if you don't have one just raise your hand and one will be provided for you say a little bit about it about the handout uh, what I have done with this handout I, I have put at the top part of it the review the eight main concepts we have seen so far And um, then about the third, the way down, we start with the Davidic Covenant. And I have put more verses than we will have time to look at. I did that, I said to myself, well, I don't want to go over my time, but I want you to have available to you texts that you can look up for further research. So texts that I don't get to this morning, you'll find there. And uh, I, I trust that God will richly bless them. I appreciate what, our, what our, our, our brother Curtis said in prayer, that all the covenants point to the Lord Jesus Christ. In some ways, the Davidic covenant gives us our clearest the, the clearest view because that's further along in God's revelation. You see, God's revelation builds over time. He adds, he clarifies, he reveals And the later revelations are the clearer revelations. Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, the end of a matter is better than the beginning thereof. And there were a lot of ways in which that uh, particular principle applies. So, we're going to look at the Davidic covenant. And um, we have looked at these eight principles, these eight concepts that... Really fit the covenants. Uh, all of the covenants have these various principles at their heart. And I hope I have uh, have today and two more weeks. I hope that by the time we are done, the, the the matter will become much clearer and richer for us. Well, we're going to look at a summary of the Davidic covenant. There are a couple of main texts that uh, that spell out the Davidic covenant in its origin. Uh, we have 2 Samuel chapter 7. The whole chapter is very good, very helpful. Uh, the parallel portion is the 1 Chronicles 17. Uh, you know that, uh, many of you will know that in 2 Samuel, have the history of the kings uh, from... Uh, David on and uh, that continues on in 1st and 2nd Kings but then in 1st Chronicles you have a particular focus of the of the kings of Judah and 1st Chronicles 17 is a parallel a very very close parallel to 2nd Samuel 7 so we're going to turn to 2nd Samuel 7 and look at it and see the institution of the Davidic Covenant now, I'll mostly read, make a couple of points there, but that is where uh, God reveals first the covenant that he makes with David. So we we'll read, I'm reading from my New American Standard Bible, 2 Samuel 7. Now it came about when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies that the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within 10 curtains. Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. One of the principles of the covenant, remember, is that God determines the covenant. God specifies what the covenant is about and how the covenant is fulfilled. And here's an interesting point where Nathan, who is a prophet, tells David something which is not in the mind of God. David is saying, you know, there's a problem. I have a beautiful house and God has tents. Uh, This is not right. And Nathan tells him, look, do it. Do it. Do what's in your mind. God blesses you. Just do it. And God goes on now to say, hey, wait a minute. I decide the terms of the covenant. I decide who does what. And God speaks to Nathan. It's a a gentle reproof, but a reproof nonetheless. Verse four, but in the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and say to my servant David, thus says the Lord. Are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent, even in a tabernacle. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following sheep, to be a ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor Will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly, even for the day? I commended judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. So you see what God says? He says, you think you're going to make me a house? He said, I haven't asked for it, but I'm going to do something better. This is This is what my covenant is about the good of my people, the rule of the Lord, and the rule of David. And he says, I'm going to build you a house. You're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. When your days are complete, verse 12, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever." In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Then David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future, this And this is the custom of man, O Lord God. So David is exactly expressing here the amazingness. He says, who am I that you should do this for me? He, He senses that he is unworthy of it, and he is marveling at the promise of God. So he goes on. Verse 20. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, For the sake of your word, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. For this reason you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation on earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, and to make a name for himself, and to do great things for you, and awesome things for your land, before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from, na- from nations and their gods. For you have established for your, your, yourself your people Israel as your own people forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. So he sees verse he says, God, you have done so much for your people and you've made a great name for yourself. And now, verse 25, now... He asks for God to do what he has promised. Now, David should know. God promised it. God said it. God will do it. But David, uh, here's that element of doubt and concern. Verse 25. Now, therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and your house, confirm it forever and do as you have spoken, that your name may be magnified forever by saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made a revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. As much as he says, he says, look, I couldn't even ask for this. I couldn't even think of this. I couldn't even pray this way. But you've made a promise. And now... I'm asking you to do it. Verse 28, Now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are truth, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing may the house of your servant be blessed forever. So here is how God reveals to David, and here is how David responds to God's promise. There's an interesting thing. There are lots lots of things going on here, but one of the interesting things is that God makes the promise. David expresses his gratitude for the promise and asks for the promise to be fulfilled. But there's no oath-sworn promise here, at least as far as the text is concerned. God doesn't come to David and say, I swear to you that what I have promised I will perform. But it's there. And what we're going to do now is turn to Psalm 89. That's the psalm we just sang. Psalm 89 is the record of one of David's contemporaries, a man by the name of Ethan the Ezraite. And it's Psalm 89. You have the clear record that this is a covenant of God with David. The word covenant doesn't even, the word covenant appeared in 2 Samuel 7 as we read it. Now Psalm 89 is a long psalm. It's not written by David, it's written by another man, a contemporary of his, one of the Levites who sang uh, in the worship of God. And um, we're not going to read the whole psalm, that's too much. But we're going to look at the text, which especially deal with this subject. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll drop down to verse 26. Psalm 89, 1. Ethan says, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth Four. Why is Ezra so determined to worship God and declare his loving kindness? Well, verse 2, For I have said loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. So there it is. In plain language, God says this through his servant Ethan. This is God's covenant. We'll drop down now to verse 26. Where Ethan, again, brings up, or he focuses upon the covenant, upon David's son, who will be the recipient of these blessings. Verse 26, He will cry to me, You are my Father, my God and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. Now, remember what David said in his prayer. He said, Confirm your words to your servant. Establish it. Do it. And here God says, My covenant will be confirmed to my servant. I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not break off my loving kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me, it will be established." forever like the moon and the witness in the sky is faithful so here is here is in uh, psalm 89 the details the oath sworn commitment of god to do what he promised to david and this finds its great fulfillment in the lord jesus christ he is ultimately the son who reigns forever now solomon is the immediate son, and he builds God's house. We know this, but then all of the other things that are spoken of in the covenant, uh, God anticipates that there's going to be sin in the sons of David, he, it's sin in Solomon, and God disciplines the kings, uh, but he still fulfills. The covenant he made with David. And that's very important because the Lord Jesus Christ descends from David, right? He is a David's son. And uh, so the line of the kings has to remain unbroken in order for the Lord to be David's physical son. So let me briefly run through the rest of the material here you have it in your hand and if I don't get to certain things you'll you'll be able to search it out. So we have already the element of an oath sworn promise though it's not in 2nd Samuel 7 it is in Psalm 89 very clearly so. So that's what the covenant with David is. It's a true covenant an oath sworn promise. A promise strengthened with an oath. And again, Uh, The purpose of God's covenants is to create the assurance of faith. And uh, David very reverently and hopefully expresses his desire that God would do what he promised. That's what we read in 2 Samuel 7, especially from verses 25 to 29, when David prays back to God regarding the covenant, he says, confirm it. Do it. You made a great promise. It's in, in, in one sense David says it's unbelievable that you could make, you should make this kind of promise with me. But God makes it very clear, very clear, that He has, He is giving David assurance of His promised blessings. We've already seen uh, in this that David has a God makes a unilateral covenant, as I pointed out. At first, uh, David just wants to build God's ha- God a house, and Nathan tells him, "Go ahead and do it." And God says, "Hey, wait a minute, Nathan. You're 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 really not you're really not the one who decides this matter." God says, "I'm taking it in my own hands. I'm going to build you a house. That's the great promise. And Solomon will be your son who comes from you. After you will build a house for my name." And so there it is. God has his plans. They are not the plans of men. And he sets them forth. He tells Nathan what to say to David. Nathan does the right thing. He goes and tells him. He had to eat, eat a little bit of crow and say, well, I spoke out of order. But this is what God says. Now, um, I'm uh, just touching on. Number five, I could have put it in a different order, but uh, again, all God's covenants are interrelated. All of His covenants that we have studied are interrelated, and the the, the great point of all the covenants is they point forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I hope to take a lesson and, and make this more clear. But that's what the covenants are. They're interrelated. They center in the person of Christ, and they center in God's saving method. It's it's gracious, uh, as we as we know a little bit later on. But God's covenants establish that's this is number principle number four. A little out of order, but God's covenants establish covenant communities. There's a multi generational relationship between God and his people. The kings who descend from David are a covenant community because the promise that God makes to David affects all of his sons. Mm -hmm. It affects the way God deals with them. It affects God's grace to them. Uh, God is gracious to them. He forgives them. He doesn't allow them to descend so far that the covenant may not be fulfilled is a covenant community with the Davidic kings. And again, it finds its ultimate expression in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would have you turn, just to nail this point point down a little bit more, to Luke chapter 1. We won't look at Ephesians 1 or 1 Corinthians 15. You can look up those texts. But um, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 30. This is what the angel tells Mary about her son. She is a descendant of David. Her husband-to-be is a descendant of David. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That's part of the Davidic promise that his son is going to be called the Son of God, the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Well, that's the, that's the Davidic promise. And the angel is telling Mary, you are going to conceive the child who is going to be the ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. You can look at the Ephesians 1, the 1 Corinthians 15 passage as well. Well, again, we say uh, that God's covenants are progressively revealed, and his covenants are occasions of vital revelations. God increases the truth that he tells his people, that he reveals to his people by further revelations which center (laughs) in the Covenants that he makes. One um, of the texts, I think we have just enough time to look at it real quick Ezekiel 34. We'll look at that text. Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 23. In Ezekiel 34, God is complaining about the false shepherds of Israel. And he says in verse 23, he's going, well, back in verse 22, he says, I will deliver my my flock and they will no longer be a prey. And that's interesting because that's what God told David, right? I'm going to give your people their own land and they will not be uh, harassed by their enemies anymore probably ultimately pointing to heaven. But notice, he says in verse 23, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And that's interesting because David's dead and buried. But this has reference to the Lord Jesus. Verse 24, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods, etc. So there is further revelation from God about the Davidic covenant, which finds its ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of things God reveals as re- revelation goes on about God's covenant with David. He he reveals, for example, that... Uh, David's son is divine. That was something that was actually declared in Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies the footstool of his feet. Now, the Pharisees missed it uh, when Jesus asks them, Whose son? Who is David? Uh, who's the? I forget now. I'm sorry. I'm, mess, I'm messing it up in my mind here. But uh, he asks them, and they say, well, David's son. The Messiah is David's son. Well, if David in the Spirit calls him Lord, how is he his son? There, Jesus makes the point that the Messiah, David's son, is divine. God reveals this in Psalm 110. God reveals that the David's son will atone for the sins of his people. In Isaiah 52 and 53, uh, the scriptures reveal that his people will participate in his rule. Uh, We're going to look at that, God willing, next week in the evening sermon in Revelation 3.21. That's one of many places in which we are told that God's people will participate in his rule as king. So God's covenants are progressively revealed. Then God's covenants are graciously redemptive. Uh, That is underscored in God's preservation of his kingdom. David's rule, God says, I won't cut off my covenant from David's sons. They are sinners. They do foolish things, and God disciplines them for their sins, but he maintains the Davidic line, and that is God's gracious redemption. And then finally, get through all my points in good time, God's covenants make demands on the covenant community. Because God requires faithfulness of the Davidic kings. And the nation must submit to the righteous rule of God's appointed king. And that, Of course, that's true of us. The Lord Jesus Christ is our king, and we submit to him. And by his grace, we partake of all the rich blessings of God's covenant promises which are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pray and give thanks to God for his covenant with David and for his covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, we do bow before you and we thank you that you have given us all of these rich truths that they might instruct us and guide us we might see your wonderful hand of grace in all the ages you have purposed to bless your believing people through the Lord Jesus Christ. And We thank you for these covenants which give us glimpses into your, uh, your commitment to save your people through the one whom you have appointed as our Savior. So we thank you. We ask your continued blessing upon us as we study the scriptures together. Give us understanding by the work of your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.